Manchester City finally got what they have been chasing for, the UEFA Champions League title, after burning so much money and signing so many different players and managers in over a decade. Despite the loss, Inter Milan could leave the field being proud of themselves for making City work hard to get the victory. Welcome back to CGTN Sports Talk. I am your host, Li Xiang, and I'm glad to be joined by my colleague, Josh here. Great to be back. So I guess it's fair to say that, including us, mm-hmm. not, not many were surprised at the result. It's yeah. only one goal. That is kind of surprising, though. Yeah, that's it. Going into this, the odds were so heavily in Manchester City's favor because they're already on two-thirds of a treble. They are such a big team. Like you mentioned, they've spent a fortune, well over a billion pounds, mm-hmm. even more, I guess, in euros. They've been on this quest for a decade. At some point, it felt inevitable they would get there. And then on the other side of things is Inter Milan, who third place in the domestic league, yeah. not really competing for anything else. Not only that, but you consider that Manchester City got here by beating Real Madrid, Bayern mm-hmm. Munich, big teams like that. Inter Milan had... Benfica, Benfica Porto, yeah. AC Milan. That's it. They had the easier route. So when it came to this, it was very much a case of David versus Goliath. Oh, yeah. And then for like the first half, it almost looked like David was going to pull something out because mm-hmm. of how great they were set up. Like a thing which um, I think we just noticed on a football podcast I listened to is that every time City play a team that plays two up front, they struggle or they lose. Yeah. And that's been what Inter's been like under Simone Inzaghi for so long. And you could see with that two at the front, three at the back this wide floating midfield, you could see it was really working for a while. And when Kevin De Bruyne went off for his second Champions League final in a row, Mm -hmm. you look at yourself and think, okay, well, that's a magician gone from their midfield. Yes, City have this fantastic bench. They brought on Phil Foden, but it still looked like it was heading in one particular direction. Yeah. But then Eden Dzeko, who was 37, goes off. Alessandro Bastoni goes off. Denzel Dumfries goes off. Um, when Dzeko goes off, he's replaced by Romelu Lukaku. Nightmare. It's one of those things where, at some point, just the reality of how big and how well-stacked man-for-man City were overcame just what Inter Milan could do on the same level. Mm-hmm. So, in this game, I think, first, at least in the first half, Inter were better prepared. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they know what they're facing, too. Well, for City, this may be weird to say, but the best option to me seems like they don't have to prepare. Mm. Just stay who they are. That will be fine. Still, I think there were some changes Pat made, like the positioning of De Bruyne Mm. and also the choices in the back line. I think those were some of the reasons that they were not so dominant against Inter. And when De Bruyne was gone, I'm not saying the ball movement just got suddenly so much smoother, but somehow they find the way to crack Inter mm. open. Yeah, I mean, that's it's funny you mention that because when the match was beginning and you give the give the lineups, seeing that back three of Ruben Diaz, Nathan Ake, and Manuel Akanji, mm-hmm. and then seeing Kyle Walker starting on the bench, I was looking at and thinking, okay, what's going on here? Amrick Laporte as well, missing from centre-back. Is this another case of Pep overthinking things? Exactly. But instead, as as time went on, uh, replacing Stones with Walker later on, so he had fresh legs. He's known as being like, the fastest uh, defender in the league. Him coming on later, having this like Christmas tree formation, which we typically think of, um, which we typically think of with Carlo Ancelotti. 
Kevin De Bruyne and Ilkay Gundogan, you are right, they have this weird, like, free-flowing midfield, attacking midfield, both of them playing second striker, similar sort of positions. But then when um, he was replaced by Phil Foden, De Bruyne, you are right, it suddenly became a bit more traditional. Mm -hmm. And by being that, they were able to kind of pick up the pace. And once they could push through or basically split that... Uh, in Zaghi style midfield open and they were just getting through time and time again and that's how he ends up with that first goal where you had uh, Rodri just you know he sent it past three or four players who were simply standing there and that was all set up um, by a player cutting through I want to say I think it was Foden maybe in Gundogan just getting through on the on the wing Mm -hmm. getting past that past that um, defense and the team were just kind of like caught out and in doing so were frozen and it was just like passed into the goal and that, that was it. In general, I thought I thought Onana's goalkeeping was great, but you could see that this is a team that plays in a very rigid style yeah. and that rigidity helped them overcome the more ad hoc on player-by-player basis that Manchester City plays with, the free-flowing. But then when they become a bit more direct, then it's, that's where it became, like I was saying, man for man. Mm-hmm. And on that level, City just streets ahead. That's true. When I uh, first I saw the result when I woke up, I thought it may be Holland because he's their hope. Mm. He's why they should be so confident in themselves in the Champions League. He's very efficient attacker too. Yeah. But then I saw the highlight. I saw the replay. I was like, this should have been his job, but it's not. And when Akanji just came to press the back line, I mm-hmm. think for the first time in the whole game, Inter, like you said, were rigid, and they were like, okay, we need to play safe. We need to back off. And then there was that open space, and there was the goal. So Holland didn't do the job. And I saw a lot of negative comments on him for doing this. They said, okay, kid, you just blew your chance for the Golden Ball winner this year. You were, at least for this year, you're not going to take over from Ronaldo or Mm. Lionel Messi. How do you evaluate his performance? Well, I I almost feel like him not scoring was the point almost, because Mm -hmm. it was the thing which we saw in the two legs against Real Madrid, where you see the danger is so well known that he ends up getting always man coverage, perhaps double coverage. That frees up the space for someone else to score. And part of his genius, Haaland's genius, is he's this wunderkind, he does have this fantastic football IQ, he has the strength, the power, the precision. You would think he is in this position to be, I want goals, I want goals, when he's very clearly, I want wins, I want trophies. Mm-hmm. And him basically being willing to almost drag all of that back line, and not just the back line, but everyone who's around him. I want to say he was surrounded by like Damian, Bastoni, yeah. Chalanoglu. So then you have the space where Rodri can just bang it into the other side with only a Serbian Brozovic, I think it was, just standing in front of him. Because mm-hmm. everyone is so scared of... Um, Haaland that they don't really know what to do so in many ways what's happened is he started with the team and we thought he would weaken them because it suddenly becomes he's a striker kind of like um, when Zlatan Ibrahimovic went to Barcelona under, under Pep as well I think we discussed that previously then there was this kind of like lull in the season where I wouldn't go as far saying they were stuttering or like they've been figured out but it was very clear that they were trying to figure out how Haaland fits into this. And then when he started racking up these goals that were basically tap-ins mm-hmm. in the sense of he would have the physicality to catch a rebound or he'd be so fast he'd be in the right space, 
that's when I think he became the real goal threat because it became, okay, we don't know where he's coming from. It wasn't a case of, say, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and he's going to like bomb right through the centre or um, Arjen Robin cutting in off the left. I mean, cutting it off the right on his left. Mm-hmm. It became a case of he could be anywhere, anytime. Yeah. And you could see that yesterday of any time the ball came forward, be it from Grealish down one side, from Bernardo Silva down the other, even though it was in the box being crossed around, you could see there was always someone watching Haaland. And at some point it goes from being ball watching to man watching. And when you leave that much space at the back, a player as smooth as Rodri is going to do something with it. I think this is the time when we say the stats don't really say how important he is. Yeah, yeah. That, that's it. It's one of those things where I think certain players, when they reach a particular level, I, I believe this applies to all sports, when they reach a certain level, the statistics just do not tell the story. True. And that's going to be a thing when we look back on this season with Manchester City. Haaland has been exceptional. I would go as far as saying he is the reason why they won this. Mm-hmm. But if you go game by game, number by number, touches, possession, whatever, there's probably massive gaps where it looks like he's doing nothing. But just the intangibles of how he plays and how he is on the pitch, that means a lot. That's true. Though I know I just said that Inter could be proud of themselves, mm-hmm. though they lost the game. But someone has to take the blame. And I just call Lukaku a nightmare. Yeah. It's like literally watching... Belgium playing the World Cup and Argentina playing the final, though they won. Mm-hmm. But Lautaro Martinez was there. At least he worked really hard to defend from the front line. And mm-hmm. he really worked. Uh, there was one moment when he competed the ball with the goalkeeper and he won it. Yeah, That's something. But for Lukaku, how is it possible that you came off the bench after, what, 15 uh, basically minutes? Basically an hour, yeah. yeah. And then you had your chance, you blew it. Yeah. Your teammate had the chance, you blew it. Like, you did it three times. Yeah. What is, how is that even possible? Yeah, that, that's it. Because, like I was saying, like the at the start, I mentioned Ed and Dzeko was 37. Yeah. But he's still solid up front. He's a good big man to have in this in this uh, two-up-front formation. It's a mm-hmm. very it's very much a throwback. And I can understand them swapping him out for Lukaku in the sense of big man for big man. But yeah. this time it's strength, it's power. And managers throughout his career have liked doing that. Bring him on at the end to be a bit of a bulldozer. Mm-hmm. But it's just a case of he now... Like how many times is this now we've seen him brought on late in a big game? Be it for Everton... Manchester United, into Milan, the national team, mm-hmm. where he comes on and he's just a complete donkey in front of goal. Like His best chances were heading it right into Edison's feet, yeah. blocking, I think it was Barella who mm-hmm. got the rebound. He's just in the way constantly. He was talking beforehand as well about how um, he wants to prove to the world he's been snubbed in the past, blah, blah, blah. When you put in performances like this... It's an absolute joke. He speaks and, louder than anything. Yeah, and, and likewise, Lautaro Martinez, he has been meant to be like the next thing for the Argentinian national team. Yeah. He, his whole thing in the World Cup was he plays alongside Messi, he keeps him safe, but throughout every single game in that, the ball touched his feet and then immediately went wide, immediately missed the goal by miles. The same thing happened here. And there were certain chances as well early on with like Edison scuffed the ball. Mm-hmm. I think it ends up... Chalanoglu or Barella's feet, someone in midfield and instead of doing anything with it, they just skied it. There was a time when Martinez he got through the back, he'd like wrong-footed uh, Nathan Ake, I think it was, and you have you had um, Lukaku coming in. I want to say Brozovic was behind him as well. Had he taken a split second, he would have found something else. Even could have 
Split-second dummied the keeper tried himself. Instead, at the narrowest of angles, he tries to nutmeg Edison. And when you are making mistakes like that in a Champions League final, you know, it's one of those things where you can say, oh, well, it's a a team effort, blah, blah, blah. But the guys who are meant to be scoring the goals... Jekyll was the best one. He's 37 to come off with an injury. Mm-hmm. The other two, the younger guys who have this very clear setup, they absolutely blew it. Yeah. What does this the result of this final mean to both clubs? Let's start with City. Say mm. Guardiola uh, finally proved that I can win the title again yeah. after I leave Barcelona, after I leave Messi. And this is what the City want. Apparently, they're always rich enough to keep doing what they do, to yeah. keep getting new blood. Is this like what they call, well, in basketball, a new dynasty? Mm. To be honest, I don't think so, simply because of how Manchester City are. Like like we said at the start, it was a 1-0 victory, mm. fairly cagey throughout. And at this point in time, the narrative is simply a case of they have so much money, they are so big, that either it was going to be a massive upset with Inter Milan or business as usual, this yeah. is what was expected. And yes, they did beat big teams on the way, but Bayern are rocky at the moment. That's not a Bayern sign of old. Real Madrid have Benzema, Modric, Cruz. And now Jude Be- Bellingham. Well, that's it. Now they now they are rebuilding to be where they could be because that'd be young legs, fresh legs. Yeah. You're looking at a City team that beat Giants at their lowest moments. Mm-hmm. So you come away from this thinking like, yes, Pep has proved it, but he's had all the time in the world. He's had all the budget in the world. If this is a new dynasty it doesn't speak well for the rest of the league. Because a thing which we touched on talking privately yesterday Mm -hmm. is this is a treble, and trebles are very important to teams. But every single one, you look at the team and you think, like, they were unstoppable. You know, when he won it with... When he won it with Barcelona in 2008, 2009, or when they won it just after he left, Mm -hmm. you're looking at, like, complete technical mastery on the pitch. Bayern have done it twice, and each time it's been complete steamroller, just yeah. constant pressure. No one is escaping this team. And then we go back to Manchester United, who were just lucky all the way through. Mm-hmm. And every time they won it, they were beating these bigger teams, and they had like squads full of players that, with the benefit of hindsight, you just don't recognize half the players. Um, you know, even you think about you know the man of the moment, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, in, the, mm-hmm. in that final. Oh yeah. Not exactly a star player. Can't no. really say anything else he'd done that was world class, but they were they had the right players for the right time and the right manager in Alex Ferguson who knew what to do. Mm-hmm. With the case of Manchester City, for a lot of this season it just felt inevitable of they'll just wait for everyone else to get a bit tired, then you know, you have players like Manuel Akanji or Nathan Ake who yeah. don't start and don't play every game. You have a bench that has Kyle Walker, Riyad Mahrez, you know, you're sometimes growlish. Yeah, and it's like I'm reading it now. Emmerich Laporte, uh, Calvin Phillips, Cole Palmer, Riyad Mahrez didn't even have to come on. You got five substitutions and only made two. Mm-hmm. One was an injury. So you have this team that is just completely stacked throughout. I'm not going to say, you know, they did get lucky, but that's part of the that's part of the game. That's what happens. But you look at who they beat and how they beat them. There's no real on-pitch majesty or yeah. particular style. It's just a case of we're bigger, we're stronger, we're healthier because we have more money. And it's not very convincing, the result. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Like like we were saying, 1-0 here, the 2-1 over Manchester United in the FA Cup final, which had like that wonder goal at the start. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know, I'm, it's hard to look at a team that just won the treble and say I'm not convinced. 
but I'm not convinced. I feel like the nature of the game and the nature of them winning with so much money, I feel almost like when the Premier League, when Roman Abramovich came in mm. and made it competitive because he had so much money, the test for City will be what happens at Newcastle United in the coming years. Yeah. And what's going to happen with Arsenal if they can get get new money, get new funding in. Because, yeah, you come away from this thinking this was a treble for the business of football rather than the game of football. Mm, that's true. Then for Inter, they just lost by one goal in mm. the Champions League final. Will that give them the wrong impression that we're just this good? We're so close mm. of coming back to the prime. But the truth is, like you said, three of your strikers one is a nightmare. Yeah. The other is not really good enough to play the top three players in the national team. And you have to count on a 37-year-old veteran to be your best attacker. Mm. But they don't really have... They don't even, I don't think they even have the tenth of what Man City have to get new players. Yeah. Is it possible that this may be the beginning of Inter Milan falling into a new long-time struggle again? Yeah, I, I think this is one of those things where you come away from it and you think to yourself... Simone Inzaghi did really well. Yeah. With what he had, he was basically... You know, he does have this reputation of being like a cup coach, mm -hmm. and you could see it on display here. He was basically a genius doing the best he could with mediocre pieces. But yeah, you know, you look at the rest of this team, Henrik Mkhitaryan, uh, Milan Skriniar, Stefan de Vrij, like this was basically put together with the leftovers of former Premier League teams. Exactly. And getting this far with that, I feel like this is going to be... A great advertisement for Simone Inzaghi. Mm -hmm. Not very much for every, anybody else involved. Perhaps a sign of like, yeah, well, these players can still do do really well, but you're not going to see anyone getting picked off like you are with Napoli. You know, the way people talk about like Victor Ozyman um, and, and players like that. Um, what's his name? Dusan Vlajevic yeah. in, in Juventus. These teams that were good in Serie A this year are getting picked off somewhere else. I haven't heard a single thing about the star players of Inter Milan. I think they'll be looking at this thinking, okay, if we have more money and we can buy younger, more dynamic players, mm -hmm. we can probably challenge again with with uh, Simone Inzaghi's genius behind us. But I don't know. I feel like every time we come to this point in the podcast or even in the season, all I can think of is the black hole of the Premier League in terms of sucking all the yeah. talent in. It's reaching the point where it's becoming untenable mm -hmm. and if this is the best a team with the history with the lineage with just the it, it's into milan it shouldn't yeah. be this low down that's if true they can't attract the talents to make them compete in the next season or two it's basically over yeah that i mean although this is a very interesting game but this a lot of signs from it were not that positive yeah 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 that, that's it mm -hmm. and i think so much for today thank you for listening hopefully we'll be hearing from you guys very soon next week see you speak to you then bye bye